When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about how problems lead to innovation, and we're specifically going to focus on run fits in a defense. If you look at today's modern defenses, a lot of defenses are having hybrids between even and odd fronts, which sometimes fit differently and can cause problems. So we're going to dig into that topic as well. And joining me to discuss those things is Jason Thier who is the defensive coordinator at Dickinson State. So, Coach, thanks for joining me here today. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be on. Coach, before we get into this topic, I'll say to our audience, I came across this information actually on CoachTube. So, Coach put a course on CoachTube. I, I dug through it there. I was really interested in how he put this together and just looked at the way he approached this. And so I think while this is a defensive-focused podcast, as we get into some of these ideas I really believe that what he did can be applied to offense or special teams as well. But, Coach, what was it that led you to put this on Coach Tube? Yeah, you know, I, I've obviously been familiar with Coach Tube for you know a number of years now, having been in, in coaching for 13 years and, and trying to find a way to raise some money to help out um, an organization here in North Dakota called Braid the Shave, which benefits children that suffer from cancer. And a friend of mine recently had her four-year-old daughter uh, get diagnosed with cancer. And, and as somebody who has, you know, kids himself, cancer is already a pretty terrible thing. And, and the fact that kids have to go through it is, is even worse. So I wanted to just try to find a way to, to give back. And, and obviously, you know, I've, I've, my knowledge base is in the game of football. And, and I saw this as an opportunity for me to try to raise some money to uh, help kids that are battling something that they really shouldn't have to go through so that's what kind of led me want to, to start doing it and and I you know I plan hopefully to put a couple more courses up there too to continue to raise money for cops coach I love it that's a, a great idea and I think an absolute perfect use for this this platform there's a lot of places you can put your content today both to you know help yourself and your family but also with what you're doing to help organizations who are helping other people and I think when you can look to harness your knowledge, just like you are doing, I think it can do some tremendous things for people. So I appreciate you doing that. Before we get into the defensive stuff, I do want our listeners to learn a little bit more about you. And I always start with just a simple question. Why did you become a coach? What is it that's driven you and essentially has become your why in this profession? You know, this was not, this was not the plan. (laughs) I was, uh, 
I was going to be an engineer. That's what I, you know, everybody told me, you're good at math, go be an engineer, go make a lot of money. And when I got my, my first year in college, I, I found out that physics and me just did not get along very well. So, <laughs> you know, that winter when I went home and I was working out in my high school, I started kind of helping out a little bit with, with some of the guys that were on that team. And, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, I realized, you know, me being involved with athletics, my entire life up to that point, that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I kind of shifted gears a little bit and my two high school best friends were also going to get into high school coaching. And, you know, we had this grand plan. We we're all going to end up at the same high school and, and uh, coach together. And, and I was going to teach math and, and be as happy as could be. And then, you know, when I graduated, I had an opportunity to become a graduate assistant at, uh, at the time, Augustana College, now Augustana University in Sioux Falls. And, you know, when you look at how much a master's degree costs, being a graduate assistant um, makes a lot of sense to, to wipe that out. So, you know, in my mind, it was go be a graduate assistant for two years, get my master's degree paid for, and then jump right back down into high school. And I just absolutely fell in love with the college level of football. You know, being able to relate to 18 to 22-year-old young men, a time in their lives where they're, they're really experiencing so many things for the first time. You know, the first time being away from home, not having that support system that's been right down the hall from them their entire life. And uh, that was really what, what kept me in it. You know, building relationships with the players to me is, you know, the best part of this job. I always talk to our guys about if, if my relationship with you ends when you graduate here, then, then I failed miserably in the process of those four years, five years that you were here. You know, the moments that are most exciting for me are, are graduation day, when I get invited to weddings, when I get the Christmas card to put up on my fridge, when I get the text message five years later, you know, talking about a lesson that I had taught them that, that now resonates, you know, that's really what makes this special. Obviously, I'm super competitive and I love to win football games, but, you know, building those relationships means way more than anything else. And that's what's kept me in it. I was fortunate that after being a graduate assistant, I got hired on as a full-time coach at an NAI school in Montana, Montana Western, working for a guy that I played for and had a great experience there. And then just kind of continued to work through the profession, had an opportunity to go to the University of North Dakota for a season and see what the, the FCS level was all about. And that was a great experience for me because it really showed me that kind of like the lower levels a little more. Mm -hmm. feel like it's not as much of a business down here. And, you know, you get to really spend more time focusing on the relationships and, and that type of stuff because you're not worried so much about the money and, and all the other things that come with when you get into that higher level of football. And, and uh, I've had a, a great run, you know, in my career, and, and I've made a lot of great relationships, and that's what keeps me around. Coach, digging into the X and O side of things, I think when you look at this game, right, it, it, it can be a very simple game, but we want to be able to solve problems on whatever side of the ball we're on. Uh, we want to be able to present problems to stress out the other side of the ball. And it leads us to ideas that really function around a being multiple. And so the issue with being multiple, though, is sometimes you, you take things that you have to figure out, how can I marry these things together? And when you're able to do that, then you come up with something that is truly unique and a system to you. And as I look at what you, you've done for yourself here, uh, you've been able to do that. You looked at uh, a problem and you've come up with a solution. So explain to our listeners exactly what the problem was for you that led you to taking a long, hard look at how you were doing things. My background is in mathematics. And the one thing that I always talk about is all mathematics is is solving problems. You know, so it fits 
perfectly with defense because, you know, defense is so reactionary. So, you know, when I was young in my career, I became a coordinator when I was only, you know, 23, 24 years old. And you want to believe that you're ready. Um, and I was kind of thrust into the, the position because of some staffing that changed two weeks before the season was going to start. And, you know, you think you're already to the point where, hey, I can handle this. And, and that year was a baptism by fire for me. I, I learned more that season than I've probably learned in the last 10 years, mostly on, on what not to do. And I, I realized that um, in that time, I was, I was trying to do everything. You know, I wanted to be every version of defense that's out there because there's so many advantages to each one of them. But there comes a time where it's not what you know as a coach, it's, it's what your players know. And so um, if you're putting too much on their plates, then you're never going to see the type of success that you want to see. So then that kind of started the process, you know, really getting us to decide, you know, what type of structure do we want to be? Do we want to be a four-man structure? Do we want to be a three-man structure? And, and we kind of landed on, yeah, we want to do both. So you have to find a way to make it really simple for the players. Well, once we figured that out, it was like, okay, what do we want to do from a coverage structure? Well, we love split field coverages. We feel like, you know, that's what we want to base out of, but there's definitely value in closing the middle of the field. So how can we make those two concepts similar? Okay, we figured that out. And then we got to this point where it's like, all right, well, now how do we fit the run? And we had like five or six different ways we had to fit the run based off of how we put it together. You know, if we're on a four-man front in a two-high structure, this is how we fit it. But now if we go to one-high structure, we got to fit it like this. And if it all of a sudden becomes a three-man front, now we got to do this. Oh, we're zone blitzing. Now it's just – and I eventually got to the point where I was like, guys, I can't even remember all the different ways we have to fit the run anymore. There's no way that our player is going to be able to. So we kind of landed on the – you know, there's nothing that's going to be 100% against everything. You know, everything's going to have some type of weakness, but let's try to minimize those weaknesses and make the weaknesses areas that we're okay with. And that's what built, you know, this universal run fit system in that coach to course. And we've been doing it now for the last probably five or six years. And each year it, we tweak it maybe a little bit more, but we've, we've kind of gotten to the point where it's pretty fine tuned. And I'll tell you, we've seen, great results in the fact that our kids can play fast. You know, while we tell our guys, when in doubt, you know, this is really what you do the majority of the time in this position. So just do that, and there's a chance you're going to be right. And that's helped us a lot, and we've, we've noticed that it, it yields greatly with middle field closed, middle field open, three-man fronts, four-man fronts. Even when we're blitzing, we use the same fit system, and that was all kind of by accident. We didn't anticipate that was going to happen, but it did, and it just made it even more powerful for us. So that's actually the first thing that we install when we do our install uh, for fall camp and for spring ball. We install our run fit system before we ever install a front, before we ever install a coverage or anything like that. The thing I noticed as you were, were talking about how this came about in, in the course, and I have gone through the whole thing and, and really love it, but you really looked at, okay, what is it we believe on defense? And you really tapped into – What's our overriding defensive philosophy to help you figure out how this was all going to come together? Because as you said, you can fit things in a number of different ways. So talk to us about that philosophy that really is is the foundation of how you put this together. Yeah, again, Matt, everything comes back to math. But, you know, the fastest way between two points is obviously a straight line. So, you know, we want to try to make it as difficult for an offense to try to get to that straight line as possible. So we came up with the idea that we want to defend everything inside out, whether that's the run game or the pass game. And so 
our primary objective is to, if you're going to try to run the ball, it's going to be going outside to the C gap or the D gap. And in a perfect world, we'd like to make it bounce all the way to the sideline and, and make somebody have to run, you know, 25 yards to try to gain two. And, and in the passing game, we're not going to give you the slants and the hitches. We're going to make you throw the flats. And, you know, we're not going to give you the posts and the drags. We're going to make you throw the fade balls. You know, all the, the low percentage throws that are that are harder to make. And, and again, being in, in our level of football, we see some really good players at this level, but it's not very often we see quarterbacks that can, you know, throw the, the field vertical, the number one wide receiver. So, being able to make that as, hey, this is what we're willing to kind of give up in this situation allows us to be stronger against defending the inside concepts in the route game and in the run game. So once we knew how we wanted to defend offenses, everything else was built around that. And you know, with that, we obviously want to be extremely relentless in how we play, and that's being relentless off the ball, to the ball, and after the ball. And, and that's more important than any scheme that we will ever put out on the field if we don't play defense with the right mentality then you could be a 4-2-5 a 3-4 a bear defense you're not going to have a chance so we preach that above anything else and if you ask our players hey what is our philosophy on defense they better be able to tell you it's defend everything inside out and if they can't then, then we're not getting the message across well enough to get those guys to understand what we're trying to accomplish coach from there in this this methodology of how you've come up with this run fit system the next step was really putting together the terminology behind it right any good system no matter what phase of the game you're looking at has very well defined terminology that your players can understand and communicate clearly and and for you i know it's been a series just of of one words that really um, give them their responsibilities in whatever it might be. And I know there's a set of terminology you use first for those fits. And, and I know you also then identify and have terminology to name the types of players, which certainly comes in handy uh, when you're looking at how you defend RPO, which is not going away anytime soon. So just that process, how did you guys go about saying, okay, this is going to be the terminology we need to clearly teach and help the understanding of our players? With the background in, in education, our head coach is also a former high school coach. You know, so we understand that our most important job here is to be educators. And so we really believe in, in practicing fast, not wasting time out on the field. You know, the majority of our practices are, are less than an hour and 45 minutes. So we don't waste time out there. We're getting to the next rep as fast as we can. So I don't, I don't have, you know, a minute and a half between plays to to really explain in detail what a player is supposed to do, but I got enough time to, to throw one word at him, one phrase at him, something like that to resonate. This is what, you know, I was supposed to do on this play. And then later when we watch film, we can break it down a little bit further. So we kind of went about it as let's make sure that we identify the key concepts with, you know, one word association or a quick phrase. And then that way on the field, if, if somebody makes a mistake, I could just yell out, Hey, CBR, Hey bar, Hey chase, or, um, here, your gap player, conflict player, and then guys can immediately associate with what they might have done wrong. And, and that's allowed us to go really fast in practice and, and maximize our reps. And, and I think it really helps, too, because the young guys on the sideline now who aren't in on the reps, they can hear that one word and know what it meant. But they're never going to hear me say three or four sentences to a guy who's out in the play. So it kind of helps the guys that are getting those mental reps on the sideline as well, because they can associate that one word with exactly what it means. And for the, the run fit part of this, 
there's basically three of those words that you utilize, and I know you use video to uh, and you know really help the understanding of this. But you know, for our audio purposes here, the terms scrape, spill, and force. I guess if you could give us a brief overview of those and how they really start to create this universal run fit system. Spill and force are are pretty universal, I think, in the game of football in general. Spilling is is the idea that. You know, we want to make the ball go outside. So if, if a defender is, is deemed to be a spill defender for us, then, then we want him to take on any type of second-level block with his outside shoulder and then try to cross that blocker's face. And that's really what we get across to him. Like, you you got to try to cross the face of the blocker. And it's the old school, you know, people say wrong arm. Um, you know, I don't really like to say wrong arm because, you know, then you have to try to explain again what's the right arm. So we just say outside shoulder, try to cross his face. Um, and if they're fighting to get across his face, then there's a good chance we're going to get the ball to go outside of you. And so if our players understand, hey, as a spill defender, this is how I take on second-level blocks, um, that's one piece of it. Then force, some people call it, you know, box or on the edge of the defense or, or different terminology. But for us, it's, it's the opposite of spill. If I'm a force defender, I want to make the ball stay inside of me. And so if I'm keeping the ball inside of me, now I do not want to let a blocker cross my face. So I'm going to use my inside shoulder now to take on the blocker, keeping my outside arm and leg free, and, and really allows those two players now to kind of play the ball back and forth to each other. So we kind of get those natural vices that you're looking for. And when you talk about run fits, one guy inside a blocker, one guy outside a blocker. And then, you know, really the, the term that people throw around a lot, but I think maybe there's a lot of definitions for this. That's why I think it's important that we define it on what it means for us in our program is the word scrape. And so what scraping is for us, is if I'm a primary A-gap player and whatever my read was takes me away from that primary A-gap and now I'm going to take on a second-level block in that gap, I had to scrape to get there. So anytime I'm moving away from my primary gap, that makes me a scrape player. So our guys understand right away, before the ball snaps, you know, we try to be a, a gapped-out defense for the most part. Hey, I have the B-gap, I have the A-gap. This read now took me out to the C-gap, I'm scraping. That's what that means. I scraped, that's that's the term that we use to, to let those guys identify how they're getting there. And so with those three terms, um, we're able to, to use them to fit most and almost all run plays. So we can, I guess, give a, a little more practicality to this. I guess if you could give us an example of each of the – the you know main types of fronts just an even front um, whether you choose over under really doesn't matter and then the odd front um, and showing how those three terms really come into play and then create as you you've termed it this universal run fit system we spend equally 50 percent of the time in four-man structures and three-man structures i mean we truly are if you had to say, you know, which one, if you can only have one, um, that would be a tough debate for us in our in our staff meeting to decide on because we do spend so much time in each of them. Um, in our four-man structures, we do a lot of your base, under, base, over, you know, three technique, one technique. We'll play a five, and then, you know, we call it a seven. Most people call it a nine um, where we're outside the tight end to the side of the three technique. That's kind of our base four-man front. So within, you know, this this idea, if if I'm a rusher, and we're not doing anything as far as a line game is concerned, then I'm going to be a spill player. If I'm rushing, I'm spilling all second-level blocks. And this allows us to, to, again, we base out of a too-high structure the majority of the time playing split-field concepts. So we will be short in the box a decent amount of the time. So by being spill defenders, 
This tries to get that that overhang, that apex player back into the fit without having to adjust his alignment to get him into the fit. So those guys are automatically going to be still defenders for us unless we alter that by line games or blitzes. And then, you know, the players that are in the box, um, they understand that, uh, you know, the way this universal system is, is we call it ISIS, which stands for I scrape, I spill. So, um, you know, if I had to scrape, I now became a spill defender. But if I didn't have to scrape, then I'm a force defender. So based off of their reads, they will now determine whether or not they're scraping, and then that will determine if they became a force or a spill defender. So now when we get into some type of three-man structure, which we kind of probably play the, the, you know, the tight front, the four-I, zero-four-I, more than your, your base, you know, uh, five-zero-five front, we kind of spend more time in that. Um, it all stays the same. But now if I'm an outside linebacker and I'm, I'm not rushing, well, I'm not having to scrape. I'm already in my, you know, it could be in a seven technique on the tight end and I'm not scraping. Well, now I just became a force player instead of a spill defender. So what's really nice about it is it really yields well when we start doing like pre-snap movements, start a four-man front, move to a three-man front, start a three-man front, move to a four-man front. And we can create all these issues for blocking schemes before the ball snapped. But that player, they have no clue whether he's going to be a spill defender on this play or whether he's going to be a force defender on this play, which can cause some issues with, you know, that pulling guard and that kickout block. Because if you're spilling every single time, it starts to become really easy. You watch all kinds of clinics like guys like, oh, if he's going to spill, just log it. And our guard knows that. It's no problem. Well, when he doesn't know what he's going to do, it, it slows that puller down a little bit and allows us to be the aggressor. Coach, on the defensive side of the ball, and really on offense too, we see it, these hybrid players, right? These These guys who are big, fast, and strong. They can do multiple things. They could play on the edges. They might be able to come from level three down into the box. They might be able to, um, you know, get up on the line of, of scrimmage and, and blitz. In setting up this universal run fit system, how much easier does it make it for you to be able to use those types of players and, and maximize their athletic ability? Yeah, it's it's huge in that in that area. We obviously, like most people, love those guys. Uh, we want to have as many of those guys on our team and on the field as possible. And you know what's great is is when we have a player like that who has the ability to play on the line of scrimmage, to play in the box, to play out of the box, you know, to cover guys vertically. You know, those are guys that are Swiss Army nice. So the last thing I want to do with a guy like that is slow him down. So now when I'm moving him all over the field playing him into the boundary on the line of scrimmage, playing him to the field out in space, putting him as a stacked backer in the box. I want him to know right away, hey, if I understand these three concepts, what's scrape, what's force, what's spill, I can play any run play that's going to come my way based off of those three concepts. And so now it allows us to get our best players on the field. And we probably did that more this last year than we've ever done in the past. Uh, we've really personnel teams, you know, so when teams would, would sub in 11, you know, we're changing our package. When teams are, teams are going to 10, we're changing our package because we were lucky that we had a lot of really good young players, but they maybe couldn't handle all the knowledge to play in every personnel group yet. So we kind of gave them, hey, you're our 10 personnel guy. You know, you're our 11 personnel guy and let them maximize their skill sets at, at an early age so they can get playing time experience. And then now as they continue to grow, become more of an every down guy. So being able to have it simple and let them play fast, we can move guys all over the field. And it kind of becomes a, you know, a structureless defense in a sense, because we can put players anywhere. I feel comfortable with safeties coming down into the box and, you know, post snap because they understand a run fit system. 
I feel comfortable with corners being involved in our run fit system because they understand it. I mean, all 11 people on the field know how it fits together. When you look again at the structure you've put together here, then there also become some universal techniques, whether it's it's handling a certain type of a fit or a certain type of a play. Because you guys have set it up this way, now there's definitely a structure for what you need to work on in terms of fundamentals, techniques, and the drills that are going to get you there when you're in, in individual practice or even in, in group periods. I always used to think when some time back, um, a lot of books and uh, dating myself, you know, VHS tapes, then DVDs, <laughs> now everything's streaming, but the 101 drills for this or that or this position. And I always thought, like, what the heck am I going to do with 101 drills? Because it's not about how many <laughs> cool drills you can have. It's really about what are the situations that your players are going to be faced with and how can you create those small situations that take give them both the technique, but also, you know, all of these, you know, you never know what they're going to do. So the decision-making capability to handle these things. So how has it, I guess, in, in terms of what you've done, simplified the way that you guys are able to put together practice structures and in individual periods? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm with you. When I was a young coach, you know, I, every drill I saw on YouTube, if I saw somebody in Alabama was doing it, I should be doing it. And I quickly started to realize that I'm, you know, putting together this 101 different drills, I'm like, man, I'm teaching skills that our guys don't even use. Like, right. we're, there's never, why I've ever seen one of our players have to do this. And so I'm a big believer in making the drills show up on tape. You know, if we're doing a drill, I better be able to pause game film and go, okay, if I put a cone here, a cone here, and a cone here, and this guy's holding a handshake, what drill is that? And the players in the room better be able to tell me, hey, that right there was fit read. That was you know, chase and tackle, that drill tempo. And if they can do that, then they're starting to recognize that we're stealing reps when we do drills. And so we really uh, take a lot of time in the off season and break down the exact skills that every position has to know. And then we try to tailor our practice towards that. So we know within our run fit system, anybody that could become a rusher has to understand our three backside of rush techniques, which are CBR, chase, and bar. So when we do, like everybody does tackle circuits and takeaway circuits, you know, we do a circuit for our run fit system, you know, where everybody has to learn how to spill. Everybody has to learn how to force. Everybody's going to learn the backside rush techniques. And again, that kind of bleeds into that hybrid player type of deal. Now we feel comfortable putting guys in positions they maybe haven't practiced a ton in because they've learned these techniques through the drill work as we've gone through the week. So I, I, again, Practice time is, is hard to come by here. So if I get 15 minutes at Indy, I'm maximizing that. And I'm not going to waste my time doing a drill that I know is a, a skill or technique that our guys are going to be using on game day. And I think in, in one of the ones that's memorable to me that you put together is it's just the technique that you teach to handle all of those read option type plays that you guys have one way you're going to do it, and it actually goes right back to that philosophy of you want things to be defended from the inside out. So the technique that you guys to use to handle the shuffle read type plays like bash or power read or speed option, etc. cetera, uh, talk to us about what you've put together for your players in that regard. So the, you know that grouping of plays to me, what I call shuffle read plays, has really been a nice 
nice wrinkle by offenses, honestly. Um, you know, I think people are really starting to get a, a hold on zone read option, and then this flipped the whole script. I mean, it changed all the pre-snap indicators and all these different things, but the one thing that is, is common about those plays is the motion of the quarterback is very different than what they're doing on all other type of option plays. And, and what we kind of familiarized it with was speed option. You know, in a lot of those plays, a shuffle read type of play, it's like speed option. You know, the quarterback becomes the inside threat, and then your running back became the outside threat now. So, you know, again, our philosophy to defend everything inside out, you know, if we were going to defend a, a speed option team, you know, we want to make the ball be pitched. So get the ball, having run lateral, get it on the perimeter. We feel great about our pursuit and our leverage to be able to, you know, be able to tackle that ball. So, we just took that and, and applied it to those shuffle replays. So it doesn't matter what type of rush technique I'm using. As soon as our players recognize that that quarterback is shuffling, we want them to mess charge the inside shoulder to force the handoff. And, and we're now turning whatever that play would have been. It could have been, you know, GT going the other way. It could have been power read. It could have been, you know, opposite zone where the quarterback's the inside rush. So we just turned it into jet sweep. And, you know, I've been defending jet sweeps since I was in peewee football as a player. And so we made it a, a more familiar play to our guys, and we made it fit what we want to do from a defensive structure-wise and defending everything inside out. And there's obviously exceptions to that. You know, if we were going to play a team that quarterback is not a runner, you know, he's not a running threat, that's the guy we'd want to have the ball versus, you know, the, the running back who's their best player, you know, we might still use that same – mesh charge technique but now maybe if they go charge the running back let's make the guy that's not the runner have the ball but our base is as soon as we see that get the ball in the perimeter make it go outside and uh, we feel that you know through the, the drill work that we do and, and the way that we put speed on the field our pursuit's usually really good and, and we can run almost anybody down and, and beat blocks out on the perimeter so that's been really good for us it's also you know it's nice because there's so many different plays that you can do off that action and we just told it, – it's all one play to us now. Our guys, as soon as they see that action, it doesn't matter what you're doing with everybody else. You can pull as many people as you want because they're never going to follow the pullers. The ball is going out on the perimeter. So the other type of option play, really, that's taken over football, and I don't see this trend ending anytime soon, is the RPO. And, and again, the way you've set the system up has allowed you uh, to better define how you're going to defend the RPO, and it gives you – a number of tools to do it too. If you just give us an overview, I know you go into it in detail, but an overview of how this helps with RPO. RPOs are, are borderline cheating. I mean, I think if you talk to any coach, it is cheating. Um, so, but it is, it's not going anywhere. The only way it's ever going to change is, is if all of a sudden one ref's only responsibility is, is to look for linemen that are downfield. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. So, you know, you really have to have that as a part of your base run fit system is how do we handle RPOs? And, you know, the easy answer is go to one high defense and then, you know, you can cover up all the throws. You got the numbers in the box and that's excellent. If you have the ability to do that, more power to you. I encourage you to do that, but you know, we don't necessarily have that ability every year or, you know, we might be facing um, a team that is going to force us to stay in a too high structure for whatever their pass game may be. So we had to designate who was going to be responsible for taking care of the throw only, who's going to be responsible for playing the run only. And then, you know, there's going to be one player in any type of too high structure who's going to have to do both. And so 
We labeled those guys. The bonus defender for us has no responsibility to the run. He's only responsible for the RPO. The uh, gap defender for us is now only responsible for the run, no RPO throw. And then we call him a conflict defender. He's responsible for doing both. And so that's obviously the, the most difficult job on the field is, is being that guy that has to hold off a throw and be able to play the run at the same time. And, and so we spend a lot more time teaching that guy than really the other two. Because the other two, it's singular. You know, it's really simple. Trigger on run or hold off the throw where that guy has to really understand what we're trying to accomplish that week. What are we trying to get them to do? Do we want them to throw it? Do we want them to hand it off? Which will change by game plan and, and which team we're facing. But again, it comes back down to that one word association on the field. If, if I got a guy who's supposed to be playing as a conflict defender and he's triggering hard on the run right after that play, all I do is say conflict and he knows right away, you know, what he did wrong in that scenario. So it's helped us a lot with as much as we play two high structures to really get our players to understand when they have to play things certain ways with RPO teams. And if, if we're playing a team that's not an RPO team, then going into that week, we just tell them, Hey, listen, there really isn't a conflict defender this week because they're not going to throw an RPO. So now that conflict defender can just be adapted to be in a gap defender for us. When you have a well-defined system such as you've done, you have a, you know, a strong place to start, and you know this is where we're at, you also then are able to make adjustments. And the adjustments really take things that are weaknesses and make them strengths for you. So it could be things like being short on numbers in the box or manipulating who is you define the bonus player is, especially versus RPO, or what to do with two-back teams or teams that use a wing, right? All those different things that you see because you've said, okay, this is where we're starting. This is how we do it. This is our philosophy. Now you really know where to go and how to adjust. So explain to us how a universal system has allowed you to make better adjustments, smarter adjustments. At the end of every year, like everybody else, we do a you know self scout. We sit down and we and we watch our film and, and what are areas we need to grow at and what what are things we need to get rid of. What do we need to add? And the first thing we do is is we watch every single run play and you know we watch the explosive runs and we try to see is this okay? Is this an issue with the system or was it an issue with the player? You know this guy just he didn't fit it correctly because he. He forced when he should have spilled. If he would have done it right, we would have been in good positions. And, and a lot of those adjustments came from that off-season study. Like, hey, we recognize, you know, with the current rules, the way they're in place, when we face uh, two-back football teams, we have an issue. Um, so we need to have an adjustment for that. And, and then, you know, hey, when we're facing pistol offenses, we need to find ways to manipulate who our bonus defender is because – Teams are making it to where they're always reading our conflict player, and, and we don't want to give them that luxury. So through that study, we were able to come up with the couple of adjustments that are in there. And in that study, it breaks it down a little bit more. But we have ways that we adjust when we're playing teams where we're short in the box. You know, So being, again, in a too-high structure, we're likely going to be one guy short in the box in most scenarios. So how do we handle that? How do we manipulate our bonus defender to make sure that we're taking away the throw that we want to take away and, and take some of the conflict off our conflict, the player. And then if we are really struggling with two backs, you know, how can we make an adjustment? And again, it's, it's one word terms. So for me on the field, I'm saying one word to that guy or, or to the players and they go right away and understand, Hey, this is what we need to do now. And so I, I, it seems 
I hate the word system. I really do, but this is. It, it, it's a system. It, it bleeds into everything that we do defensively. I would say it's more than our foundation. It's our entire life source on defense in, in what we do. Well, Coach, as I said, I love what you put together. I will link this in the show notes for our listeners so they can see more of this. I know there's a few free videos in there, too, that really give you the idea of how this works. And uh, I can tell you, I was hooked. Once I saw it, I just wanted to keep going and understand more of how Coach has done this. And it's a, a great process. And uh, you know, as soon as I end here with Coach, I will come back and give some of my takeaways from his clinic. But Coach, to wrap things up here, when you look at everything you do as a coach, what would you say one thing you do on or off the field, what is it that gives your players the winning edge? You know, I think Bruce Arian said it, but he you know, says, you know, coach them hard and love them harder. I think that's kind of my philosophy in coaching is I want to make sure all my players know that I love them and I'm not afraid to tell them that. I think that's kind of big too. I think there's kind of a masculinity issue in that. Sometimes men are afraid to tell other men that they love them and I'm definitely not afraid to do that. So my players know that, but it's one thing to tell them that. It's another thing to show them. So I try to interact with my guys as much as I possibly can off the field and different things that we do, you know, every Friday of home games, I have all the linebackers over to my house and we do root beer floats. And then we go over, you know, our tip seat for that game. And, you know, we play yard games and, and I have a pop a shot at my house that um, nobody can beat my record on. And if they do, I will stay out there all night until I beat it and get them around my kids, get my kids around them. You know, we do pumpkin carving competitions with the linebackers. We do wide open gift exchanges. You know, I want my players to know that I care about them more than just a player. And then that way, when it comes time for me to coach them hard, they understand it's coming from a place of love. And I think um, when I figured that out, it did take me a couple of years to really figure that out. But when I did, it changed everything for me as a coach, for me as a person. And it's, it's really helped in that relationship building side of things that's so important. For our listeners, what's the best way to connect with you? You know, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. If you send me a message on Twitter, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm on there all the time. So my, my Twitter handle is, is at just my name, Jason Fear, T-H-I-E-R. If you shoot me a message on there, I can definitely get back to you that way. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your ideas and what you've put together. Best of luck to you and Dickinson State and your team in 2022. All right. Thanks a lot, Keith. I appreciate you having me on. This was an absolute pleasure. As I mentioned, I said I would share my takeaways from this one. I think there's a lot that we can look at here to learn from and apply to any system, whether that's offense, defense, or special teams. So here's the first one is sit down as a staff and define and understand your philosophy. That's where Coach mentioned they started. They saw they had a problem, so they went back and they made sure that they had a very clearly defined philosophy of what their defense was going to be. Number two, determine how your schemes fit within the philosophy. If they don't, then figure out how to adjust the scheme so it is aligned with the philosophy. Again, take it back to the philosophy and make that the starting point. Three, define terminology for the staff and players, which is easy to understand and allows for better coaching and faster play. Number four, address things that give the schemes or structures issues by starting with the philosophy. Five, define roles for the scheme. It is what allows for multiplicity. When I say roles, I mean 
what he did with his players. So as an example, in how they defend RPO, they had a gap player, a conflict player, and a bonus player. Number six. Once the system is in place, adjustments can be designed to be the most effective and efficient. Number seven, set your system up with teaching and learning at the forefront. Again, thank you to Coach Thier for sharing his clinic and these ideas here on the podcast. And remember, he's donating half of the revenue made from the clinic to Brave the Shave, a group in his home state of North Dakota that helps children with cancer. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.